0: Hi, you are listening to In Search of Insight, Nootropics Depot's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and sitting next to me is our product specialist, Emil. Hey, everyone. This month, we are talking about a very exciting new product release, the first of its kind. We are going to be exploring all things related to the creation of Cognance, the world's first microdosing alternative from Bacopa. And... Today we're just going to get straight into our topic because this is a product that we have just recently released when you're listening to this podcast. We don't have any other new product releases to talk about, but we have plenty to talk about with this new product, Cognance. And the one really special um, additional detail I'll share with you now before we get into the topic is that you get to hear it straight from the mouth and the mind of the inventor who is actually Emil our product specialist who created the idea for this product and brought it to fruition over quite a few years of research. Uh, For those of you who are following us on Reddit, that's r slash nootropics depot. You've probably seen our back to the future story about the process of or an imagined process of how we went back to the future, got the recipe for this Cognance and then brought it back to you to release for Black Friday this year in 2022, but that's not exactly how the story went, so I'll let Emil give you a little bit of a an intro and a background for where this idea initially came from, and kind of the origin story of Cognance, which is our focus for this month's podcast, In Search of Insight.
1: Yeah, so the process was a very lengthy one, and that's part of the reason why we did this fun um, Back to the Future release video because everyone had been asking for it. Where is it? For years now we've been getting the question because we did we were so excited about it we leaked a little bit of information and people really latched onto this. So then the whole idea for our back to the future little uh, spot uh, video we did we wanted to make it so that i lost my memory in a bobsledding accident and our whole mission was to recover what i had lost so it's a pretty funny video if you haven't seen it but the real story is very different when i first joined this company i came here from the netherlands and one of my first tasks here was just to start developing new products um a lot of the natrium stacks got developed in that first year i was here We did a lot of legwork there, and I was really excited about some of the stuff we were doing with Serotropic. and when I first joined I was really hoping that I could do some of the stuff uh, Paul had been doing for, Paul is the owner, that he had been doing for Serotropic, like making some of his own compounds and getting those custom synthesized in China. So I had a lot of ideas on paper for that. But then we started to really shift towards naturals because the legislative landscape was changing a lot. And we actually ended up shutting serotropic down partially because of this. It was getting too high risk. So that meant I didn't necessarily have the opportunity to develop any new chemical compounds that seemed really interesting. So I started immediately looking towards nature a little bit too. Because you can make very novel extracts of things. You can isolate compounds from nature that have never been isolated before, that have never really been tried before, that have never really been available before. And one of the things that really interested me at the time was Bacopa. Uh, Bacopa, I think anyone who gets into nootropics, they immediately learn about Bacopa because it's maybe one of the first nootropics that's ever been used. Because Bacopa comes from Ayurveda, and in Ayurveda, it has always been known as a cognitive enhancer. And a lot of people get it. Um, even kids are given bacopa during school to enhance their cognitive function. So, this is maybe one of the the oldest real like herbal extracts that that really were catered towards nootropic purposes. How we know it today? So, there was always something interesting and mysterious about bacopa and I felt like there was something we could do to make it better so at the time we had Bacognize and we had synapsa with synapsa always having this reputation of being less lethargy inducing because if you haven't heard this about bacopa or you haven't taken bacopa yourself it can be very calming, and it can be calming to the point where it makes you a little bit unmotivated and lethargic.
0: I personally have experienced this myself. Um, I remember when Nootropics Depot first started carrying back Agniz. It was a few years ago, right?
1: It was actually, we've been carrying that product for a really long time, but I think I gave you a bottle a few years ago.
0: Yeah, I remember when you first introduced it to me and I started taking it in my stack. And at first I really liked it um because it was very very effective and super calming. But after maybe a week or so of taking it, I started feeling like too chill, like I had very little motivation, um didn't have a particularly normal stress response, and that was a little bit of an overkill Bacopa supplement for me. So I decided to stop taking it in my stack, um, and I haven't taken it much since then, at least since Cogdance was released.
1: Except in sleep support. So that's the one thing I realized while I was doing a lot of this research on Bacopa, and at the time I was developing a lot of the natrium stacks, I realized that, hey, Bacopa is lethargy-inducing, and that can be a good thing in terms of sleep. So I started trying it out at night a few times, and then we got this really potent uh, Bacocyte extract, a 24% Bacocyte extract. And I was trying that one, And it really helped enhance my sleep quality. And then I realized a lot of the uh, neuroplasticity enhancing effects, the memory enhancing effects would still be happening at night. So you can actually quite effectively take it at night, experience the effects, the, the sleep promoting, the lethargy promoting effects while you're asleep. So that is not negatively impacting you. In fact, that's a positive thing then and then still getting some of these cognitive benefits when you wake up the next day.
0: I can definitely uh, stand behind that. I just always think of sleep support as this kind of unified, singular uh, solution for my sleep problems because I just love it so much. I know I take it and it's so effective. I'm not always thinking about the individual ingredients, but you make a very good point. The day after I take sleep support, I wake up really refreshed, way more calm than I normally would be in the morning. And it's kind of funny that on this podcast, I feel like most conversations lead back to sleep support in some way. Um, But it makes sense because it's such an effective stack with so many different ingredients that are working really synergistically together, that bacopa being one of the really important ingredients there.
1: Yeah, it, it really made a big difference once we added it in. The first few takes, I didn't have it in. Then I added it in, and it really added something special. And I think part of what's special is that the back-asides, so we we will flash a quick picture actually up on the screen here. So we're looking at aside A3 now, and this is also on our product description. If if you're not on YouTube and you still want to see this picture, go to our product description for Cognance, and you will see this really big molecule, and circled in red are the sugar groups. And this is back-aside A3. So this is what is normally in the Bacopa Moniri plant. This is one of the main bioactives. And all of the bacosides have these big sugar groups on them. And the problem with this is they up the molecular weight a lot. So I believe for uh, bacoside A3, it's, it's right around 900 grams per mole. Uh, I think it's even more like 960 grams per mole, something like that. And this is a problem because as Lipinski uh, found out, and there's this thing called the Lipinski rule of five, it's a little bit outdated these days. There's some other models, but in terms of bioavailability and pharmacokinetics, Lipinski rule of five is something that's really convenient to follow. And you can give you some, um, some good ideas about the potential bioavailability of something and one of these rules is a compound cannot be bigger than 500 grams per mole so with bacacide a3 it's almost twice above this li- um, yeah it is almost twice above this limit at 960 ish grams per mole so based on that it probably doesn't absorb And in studies and in some pharmacokinetic modeling, it has indeed been found that bacocyte A3 and the other bacocytes, they do not really absorb in the gastrointestinal tract, and they definitely don't make it through the blood-brain barrier. So something has to happen to these compounds before they can actually be um, bioactive in our brains and produce those cognitive enhancement effects that we want from bacopa. So what's happening here? I got really interested in this and I found a study that indicated in the stomach you have a two-stage hydrolysis process that happens. The first one is a deglycosylation reaction which basically rips off the sugar molecules. So then you start with bacocytes and you end up with the jujobogenin and pseudo jujobogenin. These are two compounds that are basically the bacocytes with the sugar groups ripped off. So now they drop to right under 500 grams per mole. And in pharmacokinetic modeling and in some studies, it has now been shown that jujobogenin and pseudo can actually absorb in the GI tract and can actually make it past the blood-brain barrier. So there is something happening there when you take a normal bacopa extract. It gets metabolized into these first metabolites. And then... From there, jujobaginin and pseudo-jujobaginin get acid hydrolyzed. So they have to be in the stomach, they have to be at the right pH level, and quite a few chemical changes have to happen. And then you end up with abilin-lactone. So we'll touch a little bit more on abilin-lactone in a second. That's one of the main uh, compounds we're going for here. This is what we based a lot of our cognance extract on.
0: So the process that you just described is for a typical bacopa supplement, is that right? Correct. Okay, so with this kind of metabolism, are there major bioavailability issues with just a standard bacopa extract that prevent it from being as effective?
1: Yeah, for sure. So. The deglycosylation reaction is really common and it happens a lot. So basically, if you take something with big sugar groups on it, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to rip it off. Um, So this first stage is probably always happening because the bacocytes, otherwise, you'll just pee them out. And that's actually one of the ways in which metabolism works. Once a compound has circulated through your system a little bit, there's actually enzyme systems that tack on sugar groups onto molecules again, and this makes them more water-soluble. So then they dissolve in your urine and you can pee them out. So that's actually a way we get rid of things. So that's actually, we, we see this sometimes with flavonoids, where we come out with the deglycosylated flavonoid and then we have people asking for the glycosylated flavonoid because it's more water soluble and a lot of people think if something is more water soluble it should absorb better but that's not actually the case and usually when you're taking a glycosylated compound it will get deglycosylated in the stomach in the digestive tract and you will end up with the aglycone which is the molecule without the sugar so in this case the glycosides are the bacosides, and the aglicones are the pseudo-jujobogenin and jujobogenin. And then those again convert to ebolin lactone And I think that last stage to ebolin lactone is probably not very efficient, but it is happening. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about with sleep support. And what made me really think about this too, is if we take bacopa at night, you have these bacosides coming in, Maybe it takes an hour or so for those baccides to get their uh, sugar groups ripped off and turn into the aglycones, turn into pseudo and jujubigenin, and then exert their effects. But then while we are sleeping, we have many, many hours where the pseudo and jujobogenin can then acid hydrolyze potentially into ebilin-lactone. So then when we are waking up in the morning, maybe we have some ebilin-lactone in our system, and that maybe contributes to some of the mental clarity we experience when we wake up after taking sleep support. So when I was thinking about this, I thought, "hmm, epilin lactone seems like a really interesting compound. And then I started looking into it more, and I realized, hey, it hits the 5HD2A receptor and it selectively hits the muscarinic M1 acetylcholine receptor. and that is really unique. Um, there are not a whole lot of natural legal compounds that hit the 5HD2A receptor. Of course, you have things like psilocybin which converts to psilocin, and then psilocin actually hits the 5-HT2A receptors. There, a lot of the classical psychedelics hit the 5-HT2A receptor. But
0: so you must have been very excited when you came across this research then about ebolin-lactone.
1: Yeah, because basically the only things that that really selectively hit the 5-HT2A receptors are psychedelics and, and also natural compounds, and all of them have been regulated. so. There's been a huge lack of research on five HD two A. That's coming back a little bit now, but it it's exciting to find something in nature that isn't a psychedelic or anything like that and isn't controlled that still hits this five HD two A receptor. So That was something that really fascinated me. The other thing that really fascinated me, we've definitely spent a lot more time uh, talking about the 5HD2A on some of the release stuff because this is something, even people who aren't very deep in neuroscience. You've maybe heard 5-HT2A being thrown around. It's it's a bit of a hyped-up thing. It's, it's getting into popular culture. But the other thing that actually really excited me was that it is a selective M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor modulator. Not necessarily an agonist, but it's a positive allosteric modulator. I'll get more into what that means in a second. But this is really interesting because... There's been a very long time search in research to find something that selectively acts on the M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor, and this is important because the M1 receptor accounts for a lot of the cholinergic receptors throughout the central nervous system, and it's very important for cognitive function. So oftentimes when we talk about acetylcholine and bumping up our acetylcholine levels, Oftentimes we are think- thinking about the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, which there's quite a lot of things which hit the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. With muscarinic it's a little bit harder because if you're hitting the, the M2, or M3, uh, M4 and M5, those are all of the different ones, including M1 then of course. But a lot of those muscarinic acetylcholine receptors, they actually control how we sweat, how we salivate, uh, our gastric function, pupil dilation and things like that. So basically, if you want to modulate the muscarinic acetylcholine receptor system, you basically only really want to be hitting M1. And it's really hard to find something that is selective for m1 but with ebelin lactone we seem to have something that is very selective for m1 and doesn't really hit any of the other muscarinic acetylcholine receptors so that's really cool so i found that in this research study and i found in this research study that these compounds do get formed in the body after consumption of bacopa but it's not necessarily in the bacopa so there's this interplay between nature and humans kind of working together to create these really unique novel compounds. But of course, there is a bunch of variability between people, how efficient they are at creating these compounds within their system. And that really made me think of another product that was really popular at the time. It's a ginseng extract. Maybe you've uh, read about this one. It's the GS154 extract.
0: Which we actually carry on our website, right?
1: Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why I was quite curious about it, because it was a really good seller at the time. It was quite popular on Reddit. A lot of people were talking about it. So,
0: Was this available before Panamax was?
1: Yes. Okay, so that's was. our
0: Panax ginseng extract and stack.
1: Yeah, at the time we had a Panax ginseng leaf extract, we had a Panax ginseng root extract, and then we had GS154. And then much later we came out with Panamax. But the unique thing about GS154 is they fermented and they fermented with enzymes that should kind of mimic what happens in our gut because we have a lot of enzymes in our gut, a lot of bacteria that produce enzymes and they obviously play a big role in digestion. That's why you can even buy digestive enzyme supplements. So basically these enzymes can modify compounds and the researchers behind GS154 determined that when you consume Panax ginseng, the ginsenosides in there undergo enzymatic fermentation in the gut, that then creates compounds that are more active than the parent ginsenosides, And some of the research they did really seems to indicate this is the case. So I had this idea in my head, and I had this idea in my head that we wanted ebulin lactone Now. I didn't necessarily go down the GS154 route right away, because that just seemed really difficult to achieve, and in fact it ended up being really difficult to achieve. But I thought we had this other product called uh, Super Rhodiola at the time, now it's called Soliderosol, which contains pure uh, chemically synthesized solideroside and tyrosol, two of the compounds within Rhodiola Rosea. At the time I was a little bit more naive, so I thought, okay, if that's possible for those, then it should be possible for eblin-lactone, so let's kind of disregard nature right now, let's see if we can get this made in a lab. I was still very much in the serotropic mindset of things, where the, the synthesis, the chemistry seemed really interesting, so I thought this would be possible. So. I went around and and looked around a little bit and and talked to, I think, one or two suppliers at the time, and basically it wasn't possible. I guess it's really hard to synthesize this compound. If it was being done, it was being done in very small amounts, and if you were to scale it up, it would be so expensive you basically couldn't sell it. So at the time, I was a little bit disappointed, and I thought, well, I guess we're never going to see significant amounts of eblin lactone. Then I started thinking a little bit more and I started thinking, okay, well, if GS154 was able to do this enzymatic fermentation process, then maybe we can mimic this hydrolysis process because that's actually a little bit easier than having to deal with enzymes because ideally what you would be doing is treating the Bacopa extract, like a very potent Bacopa extract, with some sort of acidified extraction solvent. And when you do this, you are changing the compounds similar to what would be happening in our stomach, and in our digestive system, but with a lot more control and then being able to verify with HBLC testing to see if we are actually achieving adequate eblin-lactone concentrations.
0: Does this process, uh, or I guess I should ask from your perspective at the time before this process actually happened, um, is this acid hydrolysis process something that can destabilize a compound like ebelin lactone or was that not so much a concern for you at the time?
1: Well, actually, it is destabilizing a compound, I guess, but it's not ebelin lactone It's actually the bacocytes that we are purposefully destabilizing and degrading with acid hydrolysis. And then we're ending up with ebelin lactone Of course, like, keeping ebilin-lactone for very prolonged periods of time in a, a strong acid would potentially also degrade the ebilin-lactone even further. So there is definitely a delicate balance there where we have to precisely time it, precisely uh, choose our pH levels, our acids that we use to, to get this proper conversion without further degrading it.
0: But... That was achieved, and it's also measurable, right? Which is where you were going before I interjected.
1: Yes, now it's measurable. Now we can actually see that we are ending up with ebilin-lactone, because luckily there actually is an ebilin-lactone reference standard. If that didn't exist, this project actually couldn't have really progressed much further than just an idea on paper.
0: Before we go a little further, can you just describe exactly what a reference standard is for anyone who is not aware of what that concept is?
1: Yeah, so basically a reference standard is a pure isolated compound that has a specific purity, usually in the 98 to 99% purity, and it should be the most representative of this specific compound. There shouldn't really be any contaminants in there, it should just be the pure... Compound, And then you can take that pure compound and you can put it through your instruments like an HPLC or UPLC. And then in the chromatogram, you'll see where it comes out at the retention time, at the wavelength and all of that. And then you can basically run your sample through it and then overlay. So you know where pure eblin lactone should be showing up then you run another sample through your instrument and then you can compare the chromatograms and then you can go okay based on running the reference standard through it and calibrating our instrument and then optimizing our method to make sure that ebilin-lactone comes out properly, comes out by itself and doesn't coelute with other things. And then you get this nice clean chromatogram. Our lab director, Jay, is very good at making super clean chromatograms. So it took a little while for me to actually appreciate this, but he would always share these super ultra clean chromatograms and we'd look at them and go, oh yeah, that's a really nice one. We get super nerdy here (laughs) nowadays. But basically that's what a reference standard is. You get, you run it through your instrument, you basically get a picture, and then you run your sample, the actual extract, through the same instrument, and then you get another picture, and then you line them up and you see what matches up and what doesn't. By doing that, you can then actually quantify how much of a compound is in an extract. So if we didn't have a reference standard, we wouldn't have been able to quantify how much ebelin lactone was actually being produced during our patented extraction and processing steps. Um, so then, of course, the question becomes, who is going to do this? How are we going to do it? Uh, can we do it at scale, etc., etc.? So we found a partner uh, in Australia, actually, and we started working with them. And after a while, we got one sample batch back. So at this point... Between initially having the idea and looking at Ebelin Lactone, this happened four, maybe even five years ago, so this has really been a long time in the making, from just having that idea to finding someone who can even develop the extraction method and work together with us to, to make this patent. So finding that person was, was very hard, and I think now we are maybe two years into the process. So... At this point it seems kind of unreal that we have received a batch now that has ebelin Lactone in there. But there was something interesting going on with this batch. So this was the first pilot batch and they sent us a sample and we tried it and we all really liked it. But it basically felt like Bacopa that kicked in quicker and might have had a little bit of a, a different edge to it. And, this was because it didn't actually contain a whole lot of ebilin-lactone. I believe it was in the 4%-ish range. And the uh, hydrolysis process was kind of cut off right at where jujobaginin and pseudo-jujobaginin would have been. This gave us something really interesting to bioassay, though, especially when we compared it to uh, a future batch that was coming in that had very high levels of ebilin-lactone and basically nothing else. So when we first tried this extract, it made us all a little bit lethargic and very quickly.
0: Similar to a standard bacopa extract.
1: Yes, except there was very little lag time. It went from taking the extract to feeling that very nice, calming, lethargy feeling much quicker than a traditional bacopa extract. And that's because that first initial deglycosylation reaction we had already taken care of, in a lab setting basically so that's one of the things behind gs1542 and, and a lot of their marketing revolves around this is that when you take the gs154 ginseng it just kicks in a lot quicker because a lot of the metabolism that needs to be done in your body which takes time has already been done so the compound of interest can absorb much quicker we found the same with that first pilot batch But it was very calming and we didn't really want that calming effect. We basically wanted a Bacopa that didn't induce the lethargy, something you could take every day and not make you tired and still be able to get a lot of the um, cognitive enhancement effects and with all of the, the data we had on Eblin lactone we believed if we just had Eblin lactone we would be scrubbing a lot of these lethargy effects.
0: Which was not the case. So I'm guessing that this first batch that you got back was not what has been referred to for years now as the tickler, this was pre-tickler.
1: Yeah, this was pre-tickler. This was basically the, the halfway point to the tickler. So okay. then it took, I believe, another year before we actually got the the real deal stuff that we're going to be talking about now, the real tickler. Um, so this extract came in and it had over 10% eblen lactone, I believe it was 14% or something like that. We may have
0: skipped over an important stage in this, uh, in this process. So from that initial batch that you got, what decisions or changes were made that you're aware of um, in the acid hydrolysis process that ended up being effective. I guess that's what's in the patent, right? Are you able to even share that?
1: No, I I will not go very much into detail in that. Uh, Once the patent is live, you can go into the patent and get an idea of what stages we followed. Um, Of course, we give a lot of different uh, pathways to the same result. And depending on the extract and uh, the the moisture content, the back aside content, all of that, the the acids employed, the pH levels employed will always be a little bit different. So anyways, once the patent is live, you can kind of get an idea of exactly how we achieved this, but not know exactly what we're doing. That's sure. why we have our patent of course. protected.
0: Yes. But in but, terms of the idea of the direction that you took after that initial batch, where did you go from there?
1: So yeah, basically, we said this is cool, but we need more ebilin-lactone. So the extraction and processing uh, process was tweaked, Um, probably a little bit more acid hydrolysis at this stage. And then, but it took a really long time. That initial batch was pretty easy to do, but getting it to have much higher levels of ebilin-lactone took a long time. It actually took a year. So there was a, a year gap, basically. We tried that first batch, We had to wait an entire year, and then we got the second batch in. A lot of people had tried that initial pilot batch, and a lot of people liked it because a lot of people around the office actually use Bacopa, and they really like it. So when they took this, it was like a Bacopa extract that was a little bit more potent and kicked in quicker. So the pilot batch was actually quite popular around the office. Now we get in this second batch that has... 10% 10% plus eblin lactone and we take it and it is completely different. It doesn't feel like bacopa anymore. A lot of the the hardcore bacopa enthusiasts at the office didn't really recognize it as bacopa anymore. It was different. It's more subtle. It's not calming necessarily. It can be calming in certain scenarios. It seems to have a bit of an adaptogenic effect in that sense. But the lethargy inducing effects are gone and the acute cognition enhancing effects are way dialed up and it has a really unique microdosey type effect so this was really interesting and it was really interesting to the people who kind of had some uh, background experience here too and we realized we were onto something really special so then we started developing this extract further and getting from kind of a pilot batch. So think about it like this. If if any of you are into making coffee and any of you are into making a, a pour over coffee, for example, in a V sixty or something, just for yourself, it's pretty easy. You grind up your coffee, you prepare your coffee bed, you do your nice fancy pours with your water kettle, and you get one cup of coffee. Now someone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to make 200 of those cups in the same amount of time, basically, that you're making one cup of coffee. So how are you going to scale that up? And that's always an issue we find. And it's an issue with if you wanted to go from one pour over to 200 pour overs, it's pretty much going to be impossible. So you're going to have to maybe develop a new coffee machine that can kind of replicate that process but at a much bigger scale so we were up against a lot of this too with the initial development so getting a small pilot batch easy getting hundreds of kilos made not so easy so from that initial pilot batch to a real production batch took another year so now we are many many years into the process for four years i think Okay, so we get the the real production batch in, and now we have to do the analytical testing on it. We have to develop all of our methods. And luckily, the company we're working with in Australia are also really good at developing their methods. So there was a lot of crosstalk there. And we were actually pretty quickly able to develop this um, analytical method to make sure that we have the amount of eblin lactone we want.
0: And at that point... What was the concentration of
1: Ebelin lactone in these production batches? Over 10%, and it remains to be over 10%, with a minimum level that we set at 10%. So all of the batches that you're all trying out, I believe it is a little bit above 10%. I will try and figure out exactly what that percentage is if someone asks about this in our Q&A thread that we will post. For right now, I'm not exactly sure what's in the current production batch, but it is over 10%. So now we have this, and now we have to do something that we've never done before, which is patented. And that took another year, maybe year and a half. So the whole process ended up being really long. And the reason I'm explaining this is so that you get a bit more of a behind the scenes look of everything that went into creating this extract.
0: And also to perhaps let you know just why it took many years and many responses on Reddit saying, it's coming, it's still coming, we're still working on it, it will come, trust us, please, it's just not ready yet because it was a long, long process from start to finish, especially considering um, all of the patent things that go into this.
1: Yeah, and and it's a really new thing for us. We've never really done this. We've never really worked on, we've definitely made custom extracts, but nothing at this level, nothing at this scale and complexity. And we've definitely never done a patent on any of this. So... That took a lot of time. It took a lot of writing. It took a lot of back and forth. It took a lot of approving. It took a lot of talking with uh, attorneys and lawyers to figure out that all of the language we were putting in there was good. And then we co-developed this with the company in Australia. So they had a lot of input too. And we were going back and forth and we, we met with each other a bunch. And so it was a really interesting collaborative project that Took a lot of thinking power to get to where we are now. So from an initial kind of young Emil who had a naive idea, just recently touched down in the U.S. and you know was super excited, thought everything was possible and there were no limitations. Quickly I found that that's not entirely the case, but we kind of kept with that spirit, and then a lot of people got involved, and then finally this this small idea on paper became a real product and became really hyped up, which was also quite interesting to see. No one had any idea what this really was, but it was hyped up for at least a, a year plus. Uh, so, and now seeing, we are actually recording this podcast on Black Friday. Um, and just looking at the sales so far for Cognance, it's crazy. It's really blowing my mind. And it's quite humbling that we were able to make something that so many of you were interested in, and we've already sold hundreds of bottles, which means that in a week or two, we're going to have hundreds of real world reviews on this. So by the time this podcast releases, a lot of you will have probably tried it out already. So we're very excited for that.
0: Absolutely, it must be a really incredible moment for you to see a project like this come full circle from its initial idea to this point where we actually get to release it and talk about it and get into probably the most exciting part of this product, which is its cognitive benefits and its calming effects and a little bit of the pharmacology and pharmacokinetics of how that's actually working in the body. For those of you who are trying Cognance and who want to talk about your experiences, ask questions, or even get some more details about um, the process and the initial idea, you should join us on Reddit. That's r slash Nootropics Depot, where there's conversations happening every single day about all of our products from Nootropics Depot, um, stack ideas, questions, dosing and just general nootropics information and conversations and research we also have Q&A threads that we post after each podcast has been released so the that week you can after. the week after yeah. so that you can ask some specific questions that you had after listening to the episode so i really love that we get to have this kind of timing and continuous flow of conversation specifically about cognance because Emil and i both have been taking this for the last couple of weeks um for our own benefit and also to get prepared for this particular episode but i'm glad that you will all have had a chance to try this as well and then ask those questions after you've experienced the effects for
1: yourselves yeah and actually with that in mind we this has kind of become a tradition i guess Before we do a podcast about any given topic, we actually, and especially if it is a single product, we like to take that single product. So on our last one, we took Rishi right before we started recording. And on this one, we took Cognance right before we started recording. So it's been now about 45 minutes, I think, since we took it. Erica, do you notice anything? By the way, you took a 200 milligram dose. We've been playing around with those a little bit. The standard dose is 100 milligrams. But we find that at 200 milligrams, it's just a little bit more noticeable. So it's more useful for this podcast and just also really parsing out all of the individual effects. So Erica, what do you feel?
0: I feel confident. I really feel that the most perceivable benefit from Cognance is confidence. And it's not confidence in a in an aggressive or sarcastic way, like Tongat Ali, or in sort of a humorous way, like Maka. It's a confidence that feels like it's really coming from a deeper sense of self. Now, I'm probably sounding a little bit like hippy-dippy here, and you can tell that I'm excited to talk about the um, comparisons to microdosing for this particular product, because I am. I'm excited about that, and I think it's pretty fascinating that uh, we can find these kinds of effects from a botanical that's not a regulated substance and something that humans have been taking for a long time. But all of that to say, I feel more confident. I feel like I can sit up straighter. I really just feel more alive um, in in a cognitive sense. My mind is more sharp. Um, I have an easier time focusing and refocusing myself um, I'd say speaking is a little bit easier. I feel a little bit more comfortable just letting my thoughts uh, flow rather than thinking before I'm speaking. Um, and just generally kind of a more connected and grounded feeling cognitively, not as much physically. Um, like if I were to compare this to the calming effect of red Rishi, it's not quite the same kind of like muscle relaxing, like preparing for yoga or another kind of physical activity, uh, relaxation. It's more of like a mental state where I feel like I could do some really effective work. Um, some maybe effective creative work. And I do feel that it makes decision-making a little bit easier and a little bit less challenging in general.
1: Nice. So on the product descriptions, we always like to do the top three effects in our opinion, I would like to ask you that question too. So in your opinion, what are your top three benefits from Cognance?
0: The number one benefit is confidence. The number two benefit is focus. And the number three benefit is calm. I wouldn't say that my experience with Cognance has been always like super uplifting. Um, at the 100 milligram dose, I couldn't really sense the uplifting feeling. The 200 milligram dose, I would say, is the most uplifting dose I've taken. 300 milligrams, that actually goes away a little bit. So it is a bit uplifting, but I would say it's more so of like a sort of centered kind of calming. So confidence, number one, focus, number two, and calming, number three. So now I have to ask you the same question, Emil. How has your experience been so far this morning taking Cognance? And then once we're there, what are your top three benefits and effects from Cognance?
1: So Cognance for me is really interesting because I don't really feel it kicking in, but I do all of a sudden notice when it is working. So that might sound a little bit abstract, but when I drink a cup of coffee, for example, what I get right away is this, like, initial kick of, like, woo, something is active, something has changed, and then it kind of levels off after that. With cognance for me, it's a little bit of the opposite. I don't really notice a distinct point in time when it kicks in, but then while I am doing something and I think of what's different, things are drastically different. And I've also had this experience a few times where... I have thrown Cognance into my regular existing stack. And because it wasn't necessarily a constant for a long time, and my stack stays quite constant and consists of a lot of different things, I would throw it in and kind of forget about it. And usually I make my supplements early in the morning, put them all together, then have some breakfast and coffee, and then come back and take them. So in that time frame, I would sometimes forget that I had put it in my stack. And then after about an hour after taking my regular stack, the first thing I notice is the world looks a little bit different. Um, So I wouldn't say colors are more vibrant. It just seems like my sensory processing is dialed up a bit. Like I can take in more sensory information. I'm a little bit more in tune with sounds. I'm a little bit more in tune with my visual acuity so that's something that I really notice and that effect also really helps me focus in on things so it kind of produces almost the opposite effect of like stimulant-induced tunnel vision where the whole world disappears around me and all I can do is focus on one task With Cognance, it's kind of the opposite, where I can really direct my attention to one thing. And because it seems like I'm getting more sensory inputs, I'm able to become more immersed in things without necessarily getting stuck in things. Or
0: having to shut out other stimuli, perhaps.
1: Exactly. Like I can still be aware of what's going on around me. So it's not that like if you drink way too much caffeine or you take something that's really stimulating and focus enhancing where you get this tunnel vision effect. It's not like that. I can very easily task switch to, but I'm just way more drawn into things. I'm way more immersed in things. So if I'm writing a blog, I'm more immersed. When I'm doing this podcast right now, i I can't really think of, of other distracting things that are going on around me because, of course, this podcast, all you're hearing is just our voices. But there's also stuff going on around us. Like, I can look outside right now and see birds jumping around and the trees swaying in the wind a little bit. And while that would have normally maybe distracted me a little bit... Now I'm just so immersed in doing this podcast that that's not really entering my consciousness as much, but I'm still aware of it. So it's this almost opposite tunnel vision type effect where I'm very drawn into things, but not completely shut out from the rest of the world. And I think that's something that really hits me every time with Cognance. But it is quite subtle to me. Uh, and I actually really like that because I like things that are a little bit more subtle. If I want something that's really outspoken and like has big effects, I can take something like caffeine in a higher dose. But those really big outspoken effects are not always good. It's like adding a lot of salt to your food. Yeah, it's satisfying, but it also kind of buries other flavors that could have come out with slightly lower salt concentration. And I think... Cognance kind of does that for me. Just, it's like the perfectly salted meal. Everything that is important comes up, everything that's not that important kind of stays in the background.
0: That's so cool. It sounds like your experience with cognance is that it really helps you kind of dig deeper into a mindfulness state without having to necessarily go through like a mental mindfulness preparation of some kind. The Cognance itself sort of helps you along that process just naturally um, without having to do like meditation or um, other kinds of exercises.
1: Yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, I, I did used to do quite a bit of yoga. My, my mom was very into yoga for a long time. So when I was in high school and I was doing my exams, my mom would convince me sometimes to come out to a yoga session with her before my exam. So I had the morning off and then I would have to go in and take my uh, IB exam and at the time it was quite challenging to do it and to stay focused and I would go with her to this yoga session and and get like a, a physical workout in a little bit from the yoga but then at the end of it there was always a guided meditation session which it took me a really long time to to get comfortable with that idea especially as like a, a high schooler uh, going to yoga with his mom like it all seemed a little bit strange maybe but At the end of the day, when I came out of this yoga session with meditation, I was getting very similar effect to what I'm getting with Cognance when I'm thinking back to it. I was able to shut out a lot of my friends who I met before the exam and not get psyched out by that and then really be able to recall a lot of the information that I'd been studying and not let the stress and anxiety of a test kind of erase that memory which can definitely happen sometimes and I think indeed with cognance I'm getting a similar type of mindfulness effect kind of like the effect you get after meditation or even after a nice workout that doesn't leave you too worn out at the end so I think that's a really unique effect and it's also a pretty natural feeling effect for me so it isn't that it really like drastically changes my um, mental state I will say that with hundred milligrams, it, it it's at a level where it's almost imperceivable for me, but I still get the benefits. So even when I'm not directly noticing the acute effects with a hundred milligram dose, I still notice that I'm way easier. It's way easier for me to focus on things. And what I've really noticed is that it helps give direction to dopaminergic supplements. So sometimes. When you take Subroxy, especially in a little bit of a higher dose, and you don't necessarily have something very focus-heavy to immerse yourself in. Something engaging. Yeah. it, It can get a little bit erratic. Like, you kind of get this push to, oh, I have this other thing that I need to focus on, and this thing, and I have so much mental energy and focus capabilities that I can I can do all of those things and I think that can be kind of the uh, the double-edged sword with a lot of dopaminergic supplements where you get this inflated confidence where you think you can do a million things at once whereas you really should just be focusing on one task and I find that when I take a dopaminergic supplement like Subroxy or some of the Brazilian dopamine releasers we are working on in the background if I stack those with Cognance, it gives that kind of dopaminergic, I can do anything kind of mindset, it gives it a direction and it allows me to focus it on one task. So I think for me, that's where Cognance really shines to combining it with dopaminergic supplements.
0: Very cool. And I can relate to that um, experience you're talking about with Subroxy, because I really like Subroxy, but I have been taking a little bit of a break here and there, um, because there are definitely times when I take Subroxy in my daily stack, but maybe I want to have another cup of coffee, or there's um, a handful of tasks that I could be doing, but not one particular project that's absolutely necessary, and sometimes it could make me feel a little bit like all over the place, like a cartoon running around, and um, I'm thinking of Looney Tunes right now. Um, where everything feels like it's the most important thing. And that means that I might spend some time, uh, hopping between tasks and not accomplishing anything. Not very fun. Um, and not really the most effective experience when taking Subroxy, but I do know what you mean with that direction, um, from Cognance because I feel like Cognance just makes all of my supplements more effective, um. And the mental benefit of it definitely gets me into a focused state without feeling like overly stimulated, um, without like bringing me down. And also it doesn't really shut off any social capacity that I can tell. Although um, I guess I'd have to focus on that aspect a little bit more, maybe in a social scenario, um, going out for dinner or out for drinks, because I, I guess I haven't bio essay that particular scenario with Cognance as much it's more been like in work scenarios creative projects or you know alongside you in this podcast
1: yeah i think i have maybe once or twice taken it outside of a more like academic type setting where i'm doing research and stuff like that and it it does I think it has a pro-social effect for me. It makes it a little bit easier to talk to people and stay engaged with conversations. So similar to what I was talking about, where cognance can make you more immersed in things, I feel like it can also make me more immersed in a social scenario. I think the one thing there is your uh, social partner has to be open for that a little bit too. Are they able to go as deep with you as as you can in that scenario? And I think that's the one thing maybe with uh, Cognance that if you get into a conversation with someone who wants to keep it a little bit more shallow, then maybe it can be challenging. If you have people around you who would like to really get in-depth about stuff, then something like Cognance, I think, has a very unique pro-social effect where it allows you to be a little bit more introspective.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool point. Um, I didn't consider that. So now something I want to circle back to is to ask you what your top three benefits from cognants are.
1: So my top three, definitely at the top is focus. And the second one is mental clarity. I really feel like when I, especially if I'm tired or I have a lot of different things on my mind, that can definitely Im- impact my mental clarity. Uh, and this is a, a topic we've started to explore a lot more and it's also what led to Mag. We really like this concept of mental clarity. I think a lot of people will also interpret it as getting rid of brain fog. Um, I think we're somewhat talking about the same thing with mental clarity. It kind of clears the fog and it allows you to, to see the... Uh, what What's the saying? The forest through the trees.
0: Yes, exactly. You got it.
1: So... Uh, I think that's definitely my second top, so focus, mental clarity, and I really do like the mood boosting effects. Um, I think in the last podcast we said about Rishi that the calming effects feel really natural, like it just feels, I think we even made the, the comparison last time, it almost feels like you're done with yoga or something and you have this natural relaxed feeling, or you wake up from a really great night of sleep and you're just feeling relaxed or you wake up on your day off and you're just looking forward to relaxing and you're already in this nice calm natural mindset rishi does that for me and in the similar sense Cognan's kind of just i guess what erica said i hadn't really considered the confidence aspect of it but i think the mood boost kind of gives me that confidence too and gives me a little bit of a pep in my step, but it isn't really pushy like some other um, mood enhancers can be where it really, like, be happy kind of feeling. This is more of a... You don't realize how happy you are. Just tap into that kind of feeling. Like, it's a very natural... Subtle nice mood boost for me, especially at 100 milligrams. At 200 milligrams, it becomes a little bit more pushy, and I think maybe we should also address our dosing strategies here. So, the first dose we ever took was 50 milligrams, Um, that was a little bit too light. 50 milligrams actually of the jujobogenin, pseudo jujobogenin, like the semi hydrolyzed extract, was active at 50 milligrams. So that would definitely be interesting to look into the future too, just a jujobogenin or pseudo type product. But when we got the cognance, we realized we could actually go a little bit higher in dose because the lethargy inducing effects are gone and you can kind of benefit from those the higher effects. So we went from 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams and then a lot of us started to feel it. Then uh, Paul and I went to 250 milligrams a few times and noticed some really interesting effects, more effects than the 100 milligram dose. And then I believe, Erica, the highest you've been is 300 milligrams, right?
0: Yes. And that was yesterday or the day before? No, not I yesterday. yesterday.
1: I think yeah we tried our high dose we've before this podcast we've kind of been escalating the dose or i think it was not yesterday yesterday was thanksgiving yes um we did it on wednesday i think yeah exactly uh but basically we've been dose escalating so we started at 100 milligrams then the next day we did 200 milligrams and this is all first thing in the morning no coffee no nothing empty stomach you just wake up and you take your 100 milligram dose evaluate the effects then the next day 200 milligrams and then i had already taken a few higher doses so erica hadn't and she took 300 milligrams and i took 400 milligrams and i think that's maybe one of the highest doses we've ever taken when we first started taking the 100 milligrams we thought it would just keep scaling and scaling and scaling and scaling and get more intense as you go up in dose what Erica mentioned, and what I also noticed, is that it's almost like a bell-shaped response curve. So once you go from 100 milligrams, you're maybe halfway up the bell curve. 200 milligrams, you're right at this, like, perfect. It's much more intense, but it's still very manageable and nice. And then 300, 400 milligrams, you kind of start falling off the side of the bell curve. It doesn't necessarily accompany itself with more side effects or any unpleasant effects but it doesn't seem to get much stronger and it it does seem to last longer so that's the one thing if you take a higher dose it will last longer and I think now is maybe a good time to then also get into the pharmacodynamics of what's happening so part of why this is probably happening is because ebilin-lactone is not directly activating 5-HC2A or M1. And this has a lot of different benefits associated with it. So there's two ways in which we call these compounds ligands, um, how a ligand can interact with a receptor. And especially in beginner neuroscience courses or psychology courses, it, we like to simplify it down into, okay, When you activate a receptor, it's kind of like a lock-in key. So you have your key, the molecule is the key, you shove it into the receptor, and then it fits in perfectly and it activates it. This is a really simplistic idea of what's happening. And in reality, a compound can bind in multiple different orientations in the receptor, and it can bind to different sites on the receptor. So you have the orthostatic um, place where a molecule can bind and then it can become a direct agonist or it can be an antagonist or it can be an inverse agonist. So those are kind of the three options there. Then it can also bind to an allosteric site, which the allosteric site, when you bind a compound there, it can make the receptor itself more sensitive. So basically, what we mean with that is it takes less of a signal to activate it and engage its secondary uh, signaling pathways. And that's an important thing to get into here as well. And keep in mind, this is pretty high-level neuroscience already. So there's a bunch of different receptor types, and 5-HC2A is a G-protein-coupled receptor. So when you activate a G-protein-coupled receptor, a G-protein is the secondary messenger. And then that goes on and drives different downstream processes. So when you activate 5-HT2A, a G-protein, I believe it's G-alpha-Q, gets released. And then that does the rest of the signaling. So when you... Directly activated, that's the response. When you bind to the allosteric site, it just means that if a compound binds, for example, the endogenous ligand, which is serotonin, when serotonin binds to 5HD2A, then, and there's an allosteric modulator on that receptor site, making the receptor more sensitive. Then there is a bigger G protein response. It also maybe means that if there's less serotonin around, then the lower amount of serotonin can still have the ability to activate the 5 HD2A receptor. So, That's the basics of an allosteric modulator. Now it can go both ways, so two different ways. You can either have a positive allosteric modulator that makes the receptor as a whole more sensitive, or you can have a negative allosteric modulator which makes the receptor less sensitive. It appears that ebilin-lactone is a positive allosteric modulator of 5-HT2A, so it fits into that allosteric site. It makes the 5-HD2A receptor more sensitive to endogenous ligands like serotonin, but also other compounds that bind to 5-HD2A, and you can use your imagination there, but I won't get into it in this podcast. So, when you take higher and higher doses, all you're doing is just making the receptor a little bit more sensitive. But it really depends on the fact that if there is serotonin around, then... Maybe the higher of a dose of a positive allosteric modulator you take, the more profound that serotonin-mediated effect will be. However, there is there seems to be a bit of a ceiling to it. With 100 milligrams, it seems like the receptor is quite a bit more sensitive. 200 milligrams, a lot more sensitive, but maybe that's kind of the maximum amount of sensitivity it can achieve. Beyond that, it doesn't really seem to add more effects. The same is true for the M1 receptor. Uh, Ebilin-lactone is also acting there as a positive allosteric modulator, so there also seems to be a little bit of a ceiling there. So this is really interesting, and it also gives evidence for the fact that this is really what's happening with Ebilin-lactone, and just how selective it is. So Beyond the 5-HT2A modulation effects and the M1 modulation effects, there are some other things going on, but the higher the dose you take, not a whole lot of different things change. And with pretty much everything else, the higher the dose you take, and a lot of things are direct agonists or antagonists. Think, for example, caffeine. Caffeine is a direct antagonist at adenosine receptors. So the higher the dose you take of caffeine, the more severely and the more amount of adenosine receptors will get blocked and that will translate to more and more and more and more increased stimulation and to a point where it also gets dangerous and that's one thing I will want to stress here is we don't know what really high doses of abalin-lactone would do or cognans would do You have my report here, there is not a whole lot to find beyond I think the two hundred milligram mark. I mean maybe there some other interesting effects pop up, but I would say just in terms of safety and in terms of just wasting material basically, don't really go beyond four hundred milligrams or so. You can try four hundred milligrams if you want, that's four times the our recommended dose basically. And it doesn't get a whole lot more interesting at that point,
0: I would agree with that. When I took three hundred milligrams, I felt a little bit disappointed. So I wouldn't say that the that there were like negative side effects, perhaps, but it didn't feel as effective as the two hundred milligram dose. That's what I was expecting, and I was expecting it to be even more effective and even more kind of confidence boosting and focus enhancing, which it was not. Um, If anything, I felt like those effects were maybe a little bit more subtle at the 300 milligram dose when compared to 200 milligrams. I am curious to know what your experiences are um, on Reddit, if you are comfortable sharing your dosage experiences, and if you are trying higher doses, what that's like for you. Because maybe it's different for a couple people, but I certainly didn't feel... Um, that the 300 milligrams was a better dose than 200. 200 really hits it in the perfect spot in terms of achieving all these benefits and not feeling any kind of like overly calming or lethargy inducing effects from the Bacopa.
1: Yeah, so we've done a bunch of different dosage levels now. Uh, This is something we always do in beta testing. We want to see like... What's the minimum amount we need? What would be the maximum amount we need? And what's kind of the sweet spot? I think for the average person, we found that the sweet spot is 100 milligrams. But I think for people looking for a little bit more of a punch, a little bit more pronounced effects, I would recommend 200 milligrams. And this is oftentimes actually the dosage I take. And I think Erica takes too. Yes. What I will say is that because it makes the M1 muscarinic receptor more sensitive and the 5HT2A receptor more sensitive, if you take things that directly act on the 5HT2A receptor or act on some of the other pathways in which 5HT2A is involved, it can make the effects a little bit more pronounced. And I would go this route if you are looking for more pronounced effects. So for example, I find that it stacks really well with saffron. So if you take a 200 milligram dose of Cognans and then actually a double dose of saffron, 60 milligrams of saffron, the extra serotonergic activity from the saffron seems to make the 5-HT2A receptor effects from ebilin-lactone more pronounced.
0: That's really cool. I recently ran out of saffron, so I haven't tried this out for myself, but I really, really like the effects of saffron, so I would be very curious to put this together as an initial stack, 200 milligrams of Cognans and then my typical dose of saffron.
1: And I will explain another interesting thing I found, but I will have to explain a little bit how the 5-HC2A receptor works a little bit more. So another interesting thing it can do Basically, the 5-HD2A receptor modulates a lot of different neurotransmitter systems. So when you activate 5-HD2A, there's a ton of signaling cascades that happen that affect a lot of different systems. But on top of that, 5-HD2A can also make complexes with other receptors. And you call this dimerization. And it can make heteromers and heterodimers with different receptor systems. One of these is with the cannabinoid CB1 receptor. So you have these complexes of 5-HD2A and CB1 receptors, which is why when you activate CB1, you can get some of these 5-HD2A type effects. And I also find that when you combine something that hits CB1, like the CAVA, uh, the MACA, even even though CBD doesn't seem to hit cb uh, CB1 at all, I've found that the effects of CB1 cognitively, psychoactively, are more pronounced when I have taken Cognans. So for things that act on other receptor systems or even a little bit on 5-HT2A through a CB1 mechanism like with CAVA, when you take it alongside Cognans, the effects get a little bit more pronounced. So I would use it there. Use it as something that makes you more sensitive to the effects of other supplements. And it seems to really stack well, which is important because we also really like stacking ingredients together. And I think once you get to the point of cognance, it's quite advanced and you're probably, that's not the only thing you're taking. You're taking it alongside other cognitive enhancers. So the fact that it plays nicely with other cognitive enhancers is a really cool thing. You can also... I'm honestly a little bit sensitive to the effects of choline, so I haven't tried this out myself. But choline, when you take a choline source like Cognizant or uh, Alpha-GPC, even um, uh, choline L-bitartrate. Omega tau. Omega tau, which contains Alpha-GPC. If you take that alongside cognance you will probably notice a lot more cognitive benefits from the acetylcholine that's being produced from the choline source so that's the whole reason you take a choline source you take choline and then that choline gets converted to acetylcholine and then acetylcholine acts as a neurotransmitter and acetylcholine acts as a neurotransmitter at the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors but also at the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors and specifically when acetylcholine binds to the M1 muscarinic receptor, you seem to have a lot of cognitive enhancement happening. So when you have an M1 receptor that is now being positively allosterically modulated, so more sensitive, and you take something that enhances acetylcholine, then you will have more benefits from the acetylcholine effects than you would if cognance is not involved, because it is selectively making the m1 muscarinic effects more pronounced and that's really important for cognitive enhancement so i think that's a cool stack and part of the reason why in our stacks on the product page the cognitive stack i actually did cognance and omega tau
0: perfect i mean i feel like we say this every podcast i feel like i say this every podcast It sounds like a good addition to my daily stack, (laughs) but the truth is over the last couple of months, especially as these new products have been coming out, I am adding products to my stack and I am also letting some products go here and there as they no longer serve my needs. Um, Cognance has been a very, very exciting and fun and powerful addition to my stack Um, because it's really perceptible and it really seems to balance well with everything else I'm currently taking. Um, I do feel like it makes all of the cognitive enhancing supplements I'm taking way stronger. And right now, I guess the three most recent products that I've added to my stack are Cognance, uh, Red Reishi, and... Well, there was also Shoden and Saffron, but I've got to restock on both of those. But these have been my most recent additions to my stack. I'm no longer taking uh, Panamax. I'm not taking Subroxy on a daily basis, but I really, really like the combination of all these together, and I do feel like Cognance has brought back some of the mental clarity and focus that I was missing from Subroxy, but it doesn't give me that overstimulated feeling, and it also allows me to have maybe a second cup of coffee in the afternoon, which I've really been enjoying lately, um, rather than being overwhelmed uh, with stimulation by having too much coffee, Subroxy, and then everything else. So... I say it every time pretty much, but really the the past couple of months of our product releases have been really star-studded with these incredible new stacks and products. Oh, another one that I've added is mag which I also feel is being benefited by the combination of Cognance. Um, and I have a different feeling from my stack now than I did a year ago. I do feel like this is a better kind of calming and and focus-enhancing stack. I'm not focusing as much on stress management at this point, but um, Cognance just kind of amplifies everything in a very natural way and in what feels like a very sustainable way too in comparison to maybe like Tangata Lee or Maka, which can have some really prominent effects right away, but aren't necessarily um, flowing as well over like a couple weeks or months if I'm taking those, if I'm being totally honest.
1: Yeah, and and I think, that's really not something we anticipated when we first developed Cognance, but I think one of my favorite aspects of it is that it just really goes well together with other things. Um, and I think a good example of this recently, I bought this Fancy Pants uh, spirit from Empirical Spirits. They're in Copenhagen. They do vacuum distillation and some really fancy spirits. And The bottles are a little bit more expensive, and I like drinking spirits neat, so I've just been drinking the last spirit they released, their Soka, which is from sorghum, um, grown in the US, actually. That spirit just by itself wasn't really doing it for me. It wasn't that exciting. It didn't have the impact I was expecting to have drinking it neat but then I recently made a cocktail with it and boom, all of these flavors that weren't there came out and it enhanced flavors within the cocktail. And I realized I needed to actually mix it with other things to make other things come out. And I think I'm noticing the same with Cognance. Sometimes when you take Cognance by itself, you can go, ah, well, I was hoping for a little bit more but then, when you combine it with other things, you realize just how much was going on that you weren't necessarily noticing because part of the magic is that it makes other things shine, similar to how this empirical spirit, while not the most interesting, just neat in the glass, when combined with other things, made flavors pop out in some of the ingredients that I was using that weren't there when you tasted them by themselves and we talk about this concept of synergy a lot especially when designing stacks and i think cognans is a synergy powerhouse because pretty much everything i have combined it with it has brought out new effects in supplements that i've taken for years that i didn't realize were necessarily there and is that the cognans playing well or the cognans amplifying an effect i'm not totally sure but that's one cool thing you can try out with Cognans. Start combining it with a lot of things. So I really like combining it, for example, with the coriander extract. It definitely highlights some of the more interesting cognitive effects of coriander that you don't necessarily notice by itself. And it also gets more of those calming attributes out of Cognans that you don't necessarily notice when you take it by itself. So There seems to be something special about combining cognates with things. And as we talked about earlier, things that have dopaminergic effects seem to go especially well with cognates. And it really gives it a direction and it completely changes things. So it doesn't necessarily make things more potent or more powerful, but it really just modulates effects. And it's almost, to go back to cooking a little bit more, it's almost like the MSG of the nootropic world, which. For people who are scared of MSG, you probably just had a knee-jerk effect. By the way, MSG really isn't that bad. I, I it's might in get... a lot of
0: foods that you already eat, like parmesan cheese and soy sauce and plenty of other things.
1: Actually, seaweed, that's how it was first oh, discovered. Yeah. So MSG really is just the amino acid glutamate. So when you eat protein and that protein unravels in your stomach, you get glutamic acid, and basically all MSG is, it's glutamic acid stabilized with sodium. I think it's a pretty magical ingredient. You have to be careful with how to use it, but if you taste MSG by itself, it's almost unpleasant to almost tasteless. So it basically has this umami quality, and it's pure umami. If you want to know what real umami is, get yourself a bag of MSG, taste the pure MSG, that's what umami is, and it's not that pleasant. But when you take that MSG and you combine it with other flavors, you combine it with salt, now all of a sudden salt tastes completely different. So you can actually use less salt. Or if you combine it with uh, meats, it can make the meat flavors pop out more. Those wouldn't have been there without the MSG. And actually for example if you eat a dry aged steak one of the things that you're doing when you're dry aging is the proteins in the meat are being degraded and that's releasing glutamic acid so when you dry age a piece of beef you actually get more beefy flavors that's what a lot of people say and part of this is likely because of glutamic acid glutamic acid which doesn't have a major taste impact by itself but when you combine it with other things it makes other things shine and I think Cognans works similarly in that sense where it definitely has its own unique benefits and I have gone whole days where I've just ditched my whole stack and only taken Cognans and been very happy with it as a standalone product and it actually ticks a lot of boxes for me. But then when you start combining it with other things it makes everything a lot more interesting and i think that's a real interesting aspect of cognance that we're more starting to figure out as we get more comfortable with it and start integrating into our own stacks especially now that we have it available as an easy to take product because before this we basically just have giant bags of powder that we have to measure out and honestly for a lot of us We try so many new things, having it available in capsules now finally has allowed us to be more experimental with it, which now we're finding out a lot of these interesting MSG-like effects.
0: Very cool. So on that note, um, let's just make it super clear and put a couple more stack ideas together. So um, the one that I'm thinking of for myself that I've really enjoyed is Cognance plus Clarimag plus saffron for mental clarity for uh, calming mood boost that seems like it would be a really really excellent combination for like a weekend day off or even working on a project like hey editing this podcast a situation in which I want to be as calm and relaxed but also engaged as possible
1: yeah so that's a that's a great one um an interesting one that I actually haven't really tried yet but now that i'm thinking about it oleamide which is an endogenous cannabinoid hits the cb1 receptor and also like hits the 5-ht2a receptor a little bit which by itself that's not necessarily noticeable and of course it makes you sleepy especially in a slightly higher dose i was going to say isn't that in sleep support there we go correct um but i bet if you were to take like a 200 milligram dose of cognance which is a little bit stimulating too and then a dose of oleomide then you might have a nice interesting really relaxing uh, fun stack for watching a movie or something
0: okay cool so cognance and oleamide, relaxing chill out maybe hitting some of those more cannabinoid like uh, effects for you
1: and of course, this this is another stack that maybe it seems strange or maybe it seems like a no-brainer, but actually combining Cognance with normal Bacopa extract. Ooh, that sounds like sleepy time to me. But if you really like Bacopa, and I'm actually one of those people where... I can take Bacopa for a couple of days and not experience the negative lethargy effects, but then after a few weeks it really starts kicking in I'm just tired all the time. I don't really like that. But I can take it during the day and it has a really nice calming mood boosting effect. Combining it with Cognance would kind of be a no-brainer if you want that more calming aspect there, but you still want a lot of those other pronounced effects there too.
0: That's an interesting idea. I think I'll probably stay away from that because my experiences with our uh, regular Bacopa supplements have been that they're super, super, super effective for me, and they give me that lethargic feeling, um, that sleepy feeling a little bit sooner than I'd like, and I don't really need help with those kinds of feelings, it's more motivation, so I think I would probably stay away from doubling up on the Bacopa, but I am curious for anyone out there Um, in addition to a meal, what that would be like, what that experience is like putting them together. In terms of other dopaminergic supplements that would play well with Cognance, um, have you tried Subroxy and Cognance, just the two of those by themselves together?
1: Yes, I have tried those, just the two of them together, and that definitely highlights some of the more focus-enhancing effects within Subroxy that I don't mm-hmm. notice with... I, I notice very strong focus-enhancing effects with Subroxy alone, but with cognance in the mix, it focuses that focus even more. Um, it, How's the stimulation with the combination of the two? I feel like the stimulation is increased when you take the two together. Um, so Subroxy is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. That's mostly how it's achieving its dopaminergic effects. We have now also been playing around with a Brazilian herb, which I will keep secret for now, but we will be releasing it in the future. This Brazilian herb has dopamine releasing properties. And I do feel like that's maybe some of the best synergy I've gotten so far, is cognance with a dopamine releaser. There's not a lot of those out there, so not a lot of you will have the opportunity to try that for right now until the new product is released that is once the new product is released we will probably end up doing a podcast about that too and i will also list that as one of the stacks on the product page for focus and motivation it will be this neo-brazilian thing and Cognans because the two together really work well and paul the owner you know him as mr uris on reddit he really, really likes this combination as well. So he loves taking this new Brazilian thing and the Cognans. And he actually also really likes taking saffron and Cognans together. And he particularly likes taking saffron, this new uh, Brazilian uh, extract and Cognans together. That's kind of the the big stack for him.
0: Very cool. So you'll have to wait for that specific uh, product name and um, information until it's released. But A new kind of exciting uh, forthcoming product to get excited about and chat about on Reddit for sure. Definitely. Okay, so those are some really solid stacks, and I'm excited by the... Actually,
1: we talk so much about Lion's Mane, and we're developing new Lion's Mane products as we speak, but Lion's Mane would be a really great stack. Like, Lion's Mane is one of those things that runs a little bit in the background too for some people... For me
0: especially, I don't feel super perceptible effects from taking lion's mane.
1: Yeah, I don't notice very perceptible effects from the one-to-one. I notice perceptible effects from the eight-to-one, but not acutely. But I do notice that after taking it about a week, my cognitive function is quite improved. And when I stop taking it, I definitely notice that it's gone um, so combining the 8 to 1 lion's main though with the cognance would be really interesting and I haven't actually tried that because I've been taking a bit of a break from lion's main while we're focusing on some other things so I don't currently have it in my stack but I am very curious to add it back into the stack and see how it plays with cognance because the two should definitely complement each other and that's uh, one thing we we haven't really delved into all too much is why do you want 5-HC2A receptor activation, and why do you want muscarinic M1 receptor activation? So, Erica, if you're ready for it, shall yes. we get nerdy?
0: Yes. In just a second, because now that you're talking about lion's mane, of course, I'm in mushroom land in my mind. And now I'm thinking, what would happen if you combined cognance with lion's mane, with reishi, and cordyceps? Mainly because those are the supplements, the mushroom supplements that I'm most familiar with and that uh, come up in conversation most often. I look at the products and now I'm just thinking, would that be just a crazy combination? What might happen if you were to put all
1: this together? I actually think that would be a really interesting combination and I might actually try that out tomorrow now that I'm thinking about it. Because so with the lion's mane, you're getting some of that NGF effects, you're getting some neuroplasticity, you're also getting perhaps some kappa-opioid-type effects, uh, which can be cognitively enhancing. Um, I think you get some adrenergic effects, too. So there's some interesting stuff going on there with Lion's Mane. Then with Rishi you get some of the GABAergic effects. Um, you get a really nice natural relaxation effect. There's a good inflammation-dampening effect. And it helps with sleep, too. And I feel like it almost helps me a little bit with confidence and has kind of a pro-social effect. And then Cordyceps. Cordyceps actually is one of my favorites. And I have actually stacked Cognans and Cordyceps together because I am taking Cordyceps 10 to 1 every day now. So the Cordyceps 10 to 1 has a very nice physically stimulating effect. It has a nice mood boosting effect and some mental clarity there as well. And it has a really nice nootropic effect because it hits the AMPA receptors, which is a type of glutamate receptor. And this is where we can jump. I think this is a nice jump in point for talking about what 5-HT2A can do because 5-HT2A does have interactions with AMPA, and it has interactions with glutamate. So to answer that question first, I think that would be a really exciting stack. So kind of this mushroom stack that then has the Cognance MSG added to it, basically, to tie all of those mushrooms together and focus their effects into a, a more synergistic stack.
0: I love this. And just to make a culinary reference, before we get nerdy... It's like when you add shiitakes to the rest of your um, mushroom salad, right? Because shiitakes are some of the most deep in flavor and complementary mushrooms. So, And you know why that is? Because of the glutamate.
1: Yeah, that's a very high glutamic acid content.
0: So we're adding our kind of natural um, natural saturation, basically, by putting cognates together with these mushroom snacks. So, hmm shiitakes, and... We actually have a shiitake extract, too. (laughs) Oh, yes, exactly. Now I'm thinking about food, but, I mean, mushroom party. Why not eat them and take them as supplements together? I'm getting a little bit distracted now. I am ready to get nerdy. Let's talk about the 5-H2A receptor.
1: Okay, so, when we're talking about AMPA receptors with cordyceps, I think that's a good point, because when you hit 5-HD2A one of the effects is that the glutamate system is being modulated as well and this is where some of the interesting 5-HC2A receptor effects seem to come from as well because 5-HC2A also makes complexes with a specific type of glutamate receptor it's the MGLUR2 the Metabotropic Glutamate Receptor 2 which is abbreviated to MGLUR2 kind of a weird thing to say. Now I've never said that out loud, I think. Um, So this complex, if you activate 5-HC2A, then you get some more glutamate activity through this complex. But also just in general, if you hit 5-HC2A, it modulates glutamatergic release. It also modulates cholinergic release which is why it's kind of interesting that we are seeing both 5-HC2A positive allosteric modulation with M1 uh, positive allosteric modulation because if we get this effect through 5-HC2A like a a a ligand binds to the 5-HT2A receptor while lactone is binding to the allosteric site, then you get this enhanced 5-HT2A effect. And if 5-HT2A is modulating choline release, then if we are also positively uh, allosterically modulating the M1 receptor, then we could have more choline being released through our 5-HT2A effect and then interacting with the M1 effect from Cognans. So that's, that's one aspect of 5-HC2A, choline and glutamatergic. Then when you activate 5-HC2A, there's also GABA interneurons that can get activated. So there can be a slightly more GABAergic tone. Um, it can also associate with dopamine D2 receptors. So when you activate 5-HC2A, you can have more of this almost focus effect in the prefrontal cortex with some of this dopamine D2 activity. And it also by, it forms a complex with the 5-HT1A receptor, so there's some cross-play there as well. So basically, then when you think about it, and I read a really nice quote in a study where they said, we know that serotonin plays a role in cognitive enhancement. It plays a major role in memory and learning because serotonin interacts a lot with the glutamate system, and the glutamate system is crucial for memory and this is where the AMPA receptor effect with cordyceps comes from because AMPA the more AMPA activity you have the easier it can be to encode memories um, so that's potentially an interesting link with cordyceps then where the cognance could enhance that activity of the cordyceps a little bit too so you have all of these different things playing around and the the study I was reading was saying if we look at serotonin and its effects in memory and learning then where is this coming from? And their end conclusion was basically 5-HT2A is mediating most of these effects. So if we think about the cognitive enhancement properties of serotonin it's likely the bulk of it is coming through 5-HT2A which is why it's so interesting that this is a target that we can hit and makes sense why there's so much hype for this because it's basically like the master regulator of the serotonergic memory and learning effects which are very pronounced and you see in individuals that have uh, issues with mood or issues with cognition if you actually do post-mortem studies on them so they've looked at these people who have unfortunately passed away but then you have this unique opportunity where you can look at the receptor density with more invasive methods. So, of course, it can be really hard to determine how many serotonin receptors a person has when they're alive because you have to go in and do a lot of really intensive uh, stuff within the brain. You can do that after they have died and they have um, donated their body to science and their brain to science. So because of this, in some of these individuals with uh, low mood or low cognitive function, we've seen that their 5-HC2A receptor density is not exactly normal, and the ability of compounds to bind and produce effects through 5-HC2A is down. So making the 5-HC2A receptors more sensitive then could maybe uh, achieve an opposite effect. And I think that's why we see such unique mood boosting properties with cognance and other 5-HT2A receptor direct agonists. And we see very unique um, cognition enhancing effects, which obviously is why microdosing became so popular. And I think here we have an even more unique opportunity where it's microdosing, but a lot of the almost undesirable effects sometimes of microdosing are a little bit gone because we're not working with a direct agonist we are working with a positive allosteric modulator which makes the effects maybe a little bit more natural in a sense and less likely to cause some maybe distracting side effects so that's a really interesting thing there with 5-HC2A basically that it is taking it's one of 15 serotonin receptors so there's a bunch of serotonin in your brain and throughout your body and All of these receptors produce different effects. One of them is memory and learning and it seems to be coming through 5-HC2A for the most part. So very important then target for cognitive function and makes sense why everyone has been so excited about 5-HC2A. 5-HC2A receptors are also very dense in the visual cortexes. When you think about it there, when you hit 5 HD 2a, it can drastically change our sensory processing and actually it filters out less stuff, so more information is coming in. And I think that's what we talked about a little bit earlier where my sensory perception, my immersion in things seems to go up with Cognance. And that makes sense because the 5-HC2A receptors also play an important role in sensory perception. Now, the really interesting thing too is The 5-HC2A receptor has been a a little bit of a tricky target to study because a lot of the ligands that act there have been outlawed uh, because of the war on drugs. So we've basically had a very long break in research on the 5-HC2A receptors. And only in the last couple of decades, and especially this decade, that research is coming back. So I believe that in the next Decade or so, we will learn a lot more about 5 HD2A now that we can finally really study it again properly, uh, study it in humans too, uh, outside of animal models. So, I think we will learn some other really interesting things. Uh, one of the things we have started to realize is that 5 HD2A also has a major effect on neuroplasticity. So that's a very interesting aspect too, on mood, on cognition, on sensory processing. So I think there's a lot of potential there. And we could have a whole separate hours-long podcast about the 5-HC2A receptor. So I will just cut it off here because I get really excited about it. And there's a lot I am learning every year because new research is coming out. This is something we can discuss more in a Q&A thread, so please join there. I can share some research that's coming out about 5-HT2A because basically every week there's a new study about the 5-HT2A receptor and ligands that act there. So it's a really exciting time for the 5-HT2A receptor. And it's exciting that we have something that acts there in a very unique way. So then that brings us to the muscarinic M1 receptor, which we have to nerd out a little bit too. Uh, It too is a G-protein coupled receptor. It too uses a very similar G-protein as 5-HC2A. So that's another really interesting thing because... We are seeing M1 activity and 5-HC2A activity with and lactone and they seem to also share some of their G-proteins, which also means that if both are being activated at the same time, maybe have an even bigger, stronger downstream signaling cascade. And M1 is important because it too modulates a lot of aspects of neuroplasticity and also mood. And you also see in individuals who have lower mood and lower cognitive function that they're m1 receptor density is down and the ability of ligands to bind to it is down too so this kind of comes into the anti-aging thing as well or the longevity thing a little bit too is that we oftentimes talk about compounds like nad plus going down um, antioxidant defenses going down as we age but we haven't really touched on a lot of the cognitive aspects of receptor density also goes down and both 5-HT2A and M1 receptor density seems to go down as we age so maybe on the cognitive side cognance could be an interesting option for the longevity aspect but another important thing with M1 that we talked about a little bit earlier is it seems to also modulate a lot of the cognition enhancing effects of acetylcholine. Uh, Acetylcholine is a really interesting neurotransmitter. It's actually one of the first neurotransmitters we ever discovered, but there's very little that's known about it. So there's this weird thing going on that we've discovered over the years that when people take choline, it can really lower their mood. Why is that happening? And we were a little bit afraid that it would happen with Cognans too. I'm one of those people who experience lower mood when I take choline, and I have not noticed it with... Cognance whatsoever. So that's a positive thing. So, where is that effect coming from? I believe it's the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor or the alpha 7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor that's producing some of these negative mood effects because choline binds directly to the alpha 7 receptor. And some important things that I've shown to elevate mood actually are antagonists here. But not to get too much off topic, The one thing to look at here is we know relatively little about acetylcholine but in the nootropic scene it is very popular to just enhance acetylcholine because acetylcholine is seen as one of the primary learning and memory neurotransmitters which is not totally true but if you are enhancing acetylcholine you do actually want to hit the m1 receptor quite a bit because this is where a lot of the cognitive enhancement is coming from so This is an interesting thing with 5-HT2A being maybe one of the master regulators of the cognitive effects of serotonin, and then you have M1 being maybe one of the master regulators of the cognitive effects of acetylcholine, because acetylcholine also affects um, muscle contractions and things like that. That's actually its most important function, but the M1 receptor is very important for cognitive effects. So that's definitely one of the most fascinating aspects of cognance we are both hitting m1 and 5 ht 2 a which are very important for cognitive function memory and learning um, mood neuroplasticity and we're hitting them both at the same time and very selectively and that's where the allosteric modulation of the m1 receptor uh, plays a really important role so Usually when we've looked at hitting M1 receptors just in the research world, we have looked at direct agonists which bind to the orthostatic side of the receptor. The problem with that is the orthostatic binding site of all of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors is basically the same. So if you have something that binds at M1 as an agonist, there's a very high chance it will bind to M3 as an agonist. And that's not necessarily good because if you hit M3, you can start salivating way more than you should. You can start sweating a lot. You can have major pupil dilation and things like that. So that's obviously not ideal. Now, the allosteric site is definitely more unique between all of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. So finding a selective M1 modulator is a little bit easier if you find an allosteric one. However, there haven't been a whole lot of allosteric modulators that have been found. So the fact that Eblin lactone is one, very selective just for the M1 receptor, and two, acts as a positive allosteric modulator is incredibly unique. So it's a really cool thing to have here, especially alongside the very selective 5 hc 2 a positive allosteric modulation effects.
0: Very cool. I'll be honest, a lot of this really nitty gritty science talk is a little bit over my head. But I do enjoy learning more in every single podcast and every month that goes by about how these products are actually working in our brains. And I do feel like the combination of these two effects with these receptors is pretty unique. um, But I can only really say that for myself from my own bioassaying experience with the product.
1: Because have you ever taken a supplement that has a similar effect?
0: Never. This feels very, very unique to me. So even though I might not be able to follow along with all of the details of these pharmacodynamics, I can say that the effect I'm experiencing is unique, and it feels like nothing else I've ever taken, and it's an excellent combination with these products that I really love in my daily stack. Which leads me to trust and, you know, learn little tidbits here and there as you're explaining how this process is really working in the brain.
1: Yeah. And honestly, for me, I have spent a lot of time with neuroscience. I've gone to school for psychology and neuroscience and understanding how the 5-HT2A receptor works and how it integrates with a lot of different processes in the brain, honestly, is touching testing the edges of my knowledge too especially because there's so much new we are learning about the 5-HC2A receptor so this is definitely a complex thing which is also why it's cool that we are kind of at the forefront of having something that has an effect there that is easily able to acquire and I think that might teach us a lot more about the effects of 5HC2A modulation just through kind of a community-based effort of we're printing out this extract you're all going to be taking it and we're going to get a bunch of reviews of people using this on a regular basis and seeing how it affects their cognitive function. So I I think that kind of brings us to the end of the podcast and just to sum up what we've talked about here is a very potent bacopa extract. So we started with whole bacopa flowers and aerial parts. We took that, we extracted it like we normally would. We made a very 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 strong bacaside extract. I believe it was 50% by HPLC. The other highest uh, on the market seems to be our 24% bacaside extract, so this initial extract we started with is almost 50 or it's almost twice as potent as our most potent bacopa extract that means there's a lot of bacocytes there with very little amounts of uh, cellulose and and stuff that we don't necessarily want to be putting through an acid hydrolysis stage so we made sure very nice and pure we put it through a dual stage hydrolysis acid hydrolysis stage and then we get this extract that has the end metabolite product that would be getting produced in your body uh, called Ebelin lactone Also, we haven't really talked about this. There's another compound in there, Bacogene A1, and some of the other bacogenins, but we don't really know what they do. Research doesn't know what they do, so we haven't really focused a whole lot of time and attention on that, but we might in the future. But basically, very potent bacopa extract put it through a unique chemical process that we have patented, end up with something that has this ebilin-lactone there in high concentrations. When you take it, it absorbs really quickly and you can notice the effects quite rapidly. And the effects are 5-HC2A and M1 muscarinic acetylcholine receptor positive allosteric modulation. So that's, that's what we made. It took us uh, a long time. Thanks for being patient.
0: Absolutely. And thank you to all of you who are listening to the In Search of Insight podcast every month. We have so much fun uh, researching and getting ready for these podcasts. We have so much fun in the actual conversation just between Emil and I. And we really enjoy the questions that you ask us on Reddit. So if you aren't already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to our subreddit. That's r slash Depot and join in on the conversation and especially in the Reddit Q&A thread that we post as a follow-up to these podcast episodes. We're happy to answer questions that you have from the podcast itself about the products that you're taking. We can discuss dosages and effects and anecdotes that we have from our experiences taking Cognance and basically just keep the conversation going. Thank you for sharing the In Search of Insight podcast with your friends and for streaming it on Amazon Music and Audible on YouTube and Spotify and SoundCloud and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. We have lots of different platforms for you to listen on and lots of different ways for you to get in touch with us, to ask us questions, um, to try out Cognance for yourself and to experience the benefits of this really, really exciting new product that we have. So without further ado, we will sign off for today. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. See ya.